The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. That your spirit will be at work in each of our hearts and lives to bring us to a knowledge of your truth and give us the grace and the strength to live in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, uh, as our launching pad, uh, we're starting our new series, uh, Wise with Wealth, um, and we're going to be looking at the topic of money and wealth. And so I want to stay, say right up the front that um, we'll be using the word wealth a lot, but I don't want you to sit there going, oh, he's not talking to me because I'm not wealthy. All right, we're just talking about money, and globally, comparatively, we're stinking rich. So let's just kind of deal with that false assumption. And just go, when we say wealth, we mean you, we mean me, right? That's who we're talking to. And so uh, as a starting point, uh, here's some uh, quotes that I wanted you to kind of reflect on. It says this, if you can throw them up. A wise person should have money in their head, but not in their heart. A wise person should have money in their head, but not in their heart. Jonathan Swift. Wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. Interesting. It is not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more that is poor. And Jesus, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? And right from the onset of this series, from this message, I need to say this is a difficult topic. It's a controversial topic because there's so much confusion, particularly in the church, about money. Is it the ultimate evil? Is it that God just wants all of us to be rich and successful and prosperous? Is that what the church is about? There's a mindset in our culture where that's all the church talks about, money, 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 right? And so there's just a lot of confusion and misinformation. But the bottom line is God cares a lot about money and a lot about the money we have. In fact, there are thousands of scriptures in the Old and the New Testament that address directly or indirectly the topic of money. Jesus, you will hear this over and over again whenever people talk about money, address the topic of money more than heaven, hell, faith, salvation, more than many, many other topics. Now, that ought to tell us something. God cares a lot about this topic, which kind of seems really, really weird and interesting. Uh, one of the most sobering scriptures uh, is found in Ma- Mark 12, and this is the story of Jesus, uh, you know, and, and about the widow's offering. And I want you to notice something significant that maybe you've missed, or maybe you haven't really felt the full impact of. It says this in verse 41 of uh, Mark 12: Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. Now that is weird to begin with, right? And watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now imagine that. I I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Jesus intentionally goes to see what people are doing with their money in church. Now I want you to think about that, all right? We just had our offering. From now on, every Sunday, I want you to remember this verse. Jesus is sitting right next to you and he's looking and I'm not making this up. This is not emotional manipulation. This is, not any, this is Bible. And not only does Jesus do that, he has something to say about it too. He goes on to tell his disciples about, and he knows what proportion people are giving. And he makes a comment about that. That's staggering how interested Jesus is in our money. Why? Why does God care so much about 
our money. Well, we will explore this more in this series as we go. And so this morning, it's going to be a bit of a shotgun. I'm going to go pretty fast. I want to set some foundations and give you some big picture stuff to think about. Why does God care so much about our money? Because the Bible seems to teach everywhere that it's His money. He owns it. And so because uh, as, as the owner, he cares about what we do with it. And related to that is this second idea that this, the Bible seems to suggest that the money that God gives us is for a particular purpose. And he has, a, he has a, a, a role and a work that he's expecting us to do with the money that he's entrusted us. And this is the other really interesting reason why God might be really interested in our money. Because the way we manage our money, the way we relate to our money, shows something about our spiritual state. It shows something about our character. And that is something God is very passionately interested in. If you go to the, the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16 about money and stewards, um, he makes this statement, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. That's about character. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Uh, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, when, the Bible, when Jesus talks about true riches, he's talking about eternal stuff. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, God's, here and now, who will give you property of your own? So not only is Jesus saying that you're, the way you manage your money, the way you handle your money shows something about your character, it has eternal implications. That's why God is so concerned about what we do with the money that has been entrusted to us. So this morning, uh, I want to talk about uh, the Bible's teaching on the attitude that we're supposed to have to money, like a biblical attitude to wealth and money. And I want to go through this quite quickly, but I hope you grab the overall message in this. And we're primarily going to be focused on the book of Proverbs this morning because our series title is Wise with Wealth and where better place to go than the wisdom literature. So we're going to camp out in Proverbs and refer to Ecclesiastes and some of the Psalms and we're going to look at the, the Bible's wisdom in how we are to live in light of our money. What attitudes should we have? And I'm going to kind of leave out one of the big ones, which is generosity. And hopefully we will revisit that time and time again. And we talk a lot about generosity in our church. And generally speaking, we are a very, very generous church. So um, I've kind of parked that for a moment. So first one I want us to think about is this attitude of thankfulness or, or gratitude. Be thankful for everything that God has given us, all that God has entrusted us. And in Proverbs, um, it makes it clear that God is the source. And it says that because God is the source of all our wealth, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. And that's Proverbs 10. And if you look at some of the other teachings in the Bible, uh, Deuteronomy 8, remember the Lord your God, it is He who gives you not just your wealth, but the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant which He swore to your ancestors. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, who, uh, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And there are numerous passages in both Testaments that teach us that God owns everything in the universe. And He's the source of all our, all our blessing. Now, this is where there's some confusion. And we need to address the elephant in the room, prosperity teaching. And again, I wish I had a lot of time to do this, but we don't. But suffice it to say, the reason prosperity teaching is so dangerous is because there's an element of truth in it. One Bible writer, Randy Alcon, he says, prosperity teaching is like rat poison covered in chocolate. 
And the true element of it is that God is the source of all wealth. And as Proverbs says, that the blessing of the Lord does bring wealth. And the teaching of Proverbs is that if you live wisely, if you live according to God's word and God's laws, then blessing comes. But here's where the prosperity teaching takes that kernel of truth and extrapolates it to mean that God wants all his kids to be wealthy and prosperous. But does God really want his kids, even those who are faithful and obedient and do all the right things, to be wealthy and prosperous? For all, all of the time, that's the error. It makes God out to be a genie. Like you rub the lamp and out pops the genie and he's here to grant your most desired wish. As long as you obey him and in some teaching give money, particularly to the church or to that pastor or that ministry, then the genie will give you whatever you want. But does the Bible really teach that? As we'll see in this series, that the Bible's teaching about wealth is a lot more complex and a lot more nuanced. By that narrow understanding of wealth, then the drug lords, the, the dictators in our world, the, the most corrupt and greedy companies in our world are the most blessed by God. They're the most righteous and God-honoring people in the world. And Mother Teresa would be the most terrible sinner that ever lived. Can you see the flawed logic, let alone the flawed biblical premise? And we see even in the Bible, Pharaoh was one of the wealthiest guys in the world at the time. Nebuchadnezzar in his time. Cyrus in his time. Pagan kings. We also see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the nation of Israel, blessed by God for their obedience. We see both. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, Paul, the apostles, Timothy, Peter, who lived in poverty, experienced suffering and hardship. And we see Herod and the Pharisees living the high life. It's not X plus Y equals Z. And Jesus taught in Matthew 5 that our God is a generous God and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So the biblical idea of wealth and blessing is a lot more complex, a lot more nuanced. And we ought to be very careful that we don't embrace rat poison because there's an element of truth. And that's this truth. Now, does that mean that God doesn't bless his kids, that God isn't a generous good God? No, we've seen already from Scripture that that is who he is. He's a loving father. He's generous, and he longs to bless our kids, uh, his kids, and he delights in, in his favor being on us. But it's not automatic, and it's not at our will, and it's not something that we can control and manage by our good behavior. And that's why... The first attitude we're called to embrace in Scripture towards our wealth is thankfulness for whatever God gives us. And like Paul says, be content, recognizing that everything you have is as a gift to you from your loving Father. And if there was a, a, a life that could bring you better joy, more joy, if there's a life where you would know God's love more, then God would give you that life. And if you're struggling with lack and difficulty and suffering and hardship, it's because God knows that that is the greatest thing for you right now because it brings you to Him somehow, even in the midst of your pain and poverty and hardship. God is the source of everything. And our hearts ought to be thankful, appreciative, grateful for His goodness in our life. The second attitude I, I want to bring before you is 
about being cautious. The teaching of Scripture seems to be for us to be careful when it comes to wealth. See, even though the first point reminds us, and we looked a little bit of, about this last week, that the Bible never says that wealth is evil or that having a lot of it is sinful. In fact, the Bible seems to suggest that wealth, for the most part, is a good thing because it enables us to do great things in the world. But if it becomes an ultimate thing or the greatest thing, that's when it becomes a problem. And so the second attitude we're called to have as God's people is to be careful of the dangers of wealth. And listen to some of the scriptures in Proverbs. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. In other words, they put their confidence, their trust in it. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Don't you love the wisdom of Proverbs? 1 Timothy 6.17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You've heard the saying when it comes to money, easy come, easy go. And yet sometimes we forget the truth of that statement. And we put our security and our confidence in our money. And it creates a false sense of illusion and security when we trust in our wealth and not in God. And even Jesus said, why would you store up treasure here where there's rats and there's vermin that can eat it all up and moths and, and, and thieves can come and steal? Jesus is saying, it's not secure. Don't trust it. One Bible writer, again, bringing out this complex view of wealth, shows that in the book of Proverbs, half of the references where the Hebrew word for wealth is translated talks about prizing wealth, prizing it. And then the other half, strikingly, teaches us not to trust it. Don't trust wealth. The second, I guess, warning or caution is for us not to pursue it. Not to pursue wealth. And, and look at these references. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Proverbs 15, 16. How much better, notice the better references in each of these Proverbs. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. There are better things the Bible calls us to pursue as God's people. Righteousness, integrity, character, relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other. There are better things to give our energy and our focus to than wealth. Again, you've probably heard the anecdote. No one on their deathbed sits there and says, you know what, I wish I'd gone to work more to earn just a little bit more money. Often it's, I wish I'd worked less. I'd spent more time with the people I love. I, I wish I'd spent time doing the things that I love. And my life is shallow and empty because I pursued the wrong things. That's what often people say. And again, we're, we're called to, to live in this tension. Some of these quotes from different people are quite insightful. Benjamin Franklin said, Money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. It makes one. Profound. Eleanor Roosevelt said, he who, she said, he who loses money loses much. He who loses a friend loses much more. He who loses faith loses all. Tim Keller says, wealth is an extremely useful thing, but it can give you nothing of lasting value or happiness. 
Give yourself to the things that matter. Pursue the things that are worth pursuing. The last caution is don't lose perspective. Don't lose perspective. This is what Proverbs says. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Matthew 16, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The other saying you've often heard with money is you can't take it with you when you go. If you want to really be challenged about on this point, read Ecclesiastes and the numerous references there on wealth and on toil and the meaninglessness of it in light of death. Even though we know you can't take it with you when we go, in many cultures, people try. You know, Chinese burial rituals have many traditions and maybe other cultures do too where they put things in the coffin to help you in the afterlife. They burn money to make you rich in the afterlife. Egyptian history shows us that they did that too, which is why people raided the, the graves and the, the tombs of people gone because it was loaded with wealth and riches in there. And there's a story told about this millionaire who made his wife promise that when he died that she would put all his money into the coffin with him, and she agreed. And so he died, and at the funeral, you know, she got up right towards the end before they sealed the coffin, and she put an envelope in there. And one of her friends who saw that said, you didn't do it, did you? You didn't put all his money in there. She goes, yeah, I did. I made a promise, and I kept it. She said, but what I did was I put all of his money into my bank account, and I wrote him a check. (laughs) You can't take it with you when you go. One Bible writer says, the danger of wealth, and if you're still working it out, it's about not being able to cash the check. <laughs> one Bible writer says that one of the dangers about wealth is that it blinds us to judgment day questions that God will ask us. He'll never ask you what's in your bank balance. He'll never ask you what kind of investment portfolio he had. He never will. He'll ask you questions like, who did you live your life for? Did you live it for me and your neighbor or did you live it for yourself? He will ask you to give an account for what you did with everything that he entrusted you. He will ask you about not what you've accumulated here, but what you've stored up there. Different questions, but wealth can blind us, shift our perspective. And so the Proverbs and the Bible warns us to have an attitude of carefulness when it comes to wealth. Last point, Uh, an attitude of wisdom the Bible calls us to. And that's why we've entitled this series, Wise with Wealth. We, we don't want you to hear us poo-pooing wealth because, again, we're on a $5 million building project. It would be awesome to have a few millionaires in our church who can write us a check for that amount and it won't even hurt them at all. But we want us who have what we have to be wise with what we have and to think rightly because God cares deeply about how we think about our wealth and what we do with our wealth, and how we live in light of our wealth. And wisdom is something that the Bible calls us to have as an attitude that underpins and undergirds our relationship to wealth. And again, uh, we will revisit some of these practical things, but I just want to go through these ones really, really quickly because they're pretty common sense. Because wisdom is kind of like that. It's common sense. One of the things we see over and over again in the Scriptures is not to be lazy. Don't be lazy, but to work hard. And, and these are some of the scriptures. Oh, sorry. Uh, Proverbs uh, talks about, uh, Proverbs 8 is Lady Wisdom saying that wealth is with me. You know, those who seek me, find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Living wisely tends to lead to greater wealth. 
and some of the practical ways the Proverbs calls us to live is to work hard, not be lazy. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Work hard. Don't be lazy. In the New Testament, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul even goes as far as saying, if, you're not, if you don't work, you don't have a right to eat. You should earn your own bread and not be a burden on someone else. And again, in our country, we're so blessed we have a social security system that causes a lot of people to rely on. In, in New Testament times, the church was that. And so people who didn't work, who were lazy and idle, had to depend on the generosity of others. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Work. And you know, sometimes in our Western individualism, we want a job that satisfies me, fulfills me, gives me contentment, is in line with my skill set, you know, all this stuff. And the Bible says, just work. If you have to go get a job to provide for yourself the needs of others, the needs of your family, and it's not exactly, you know, meeting your letters in the Myers-Briggs, just go work. And maybe that's a word for us in terms of thinking about life, wise living. The second thing it tells us is, this is related, don't ch- chase fantasies. Don't chase fantasies. Those who work their land, work, will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. If you're waiting for that next get-rich quick scheme, the Bible says, you're a fool. You're a fool. And I'm not saying that you know, people haven't gotten rich taking really risky things and all of that. I'm not saying that. But biblical wisdom says work. Don't talk. Don't fantasize about getting rich quick. Be diligent. Be wise. Work. The third practical principle is make good decisions. Make good decisions. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. This is about trying to get out of a bad commitment you've made, financial commitment. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to shake hands in pledge is safe. Make wise decisions about the investments you're entering into, the partnerships you're entering into, the loans that you give. Be wise. One who has no sense shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. Do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. A man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. Make good decisions about what you're spending your money on. Don't be careless. If you get an inheritance or you get a bonus, don't just flip it all away. Be intentional. Be wise. You know, I I was reading a whole bunch of stuff about timeshares just recently. You know, and, and Choice Magazine uh, in the, on their website says that no one should enter into a timeshare. It's just bad financial decision-making. And then they go on to say, yet hundreds of people sign up every year and end up in such bad... And they can't get out. They're trapped. Make good decisions about the money that God has entrusted you. Last one, 
Save. Save. Listen to these proverbs. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. The wise store up choice food and oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Gulp theirs down. You know, we, we have in our home a little clay pot where we, we, we just put gold coins in, loose change. And we have another jar where we put all the silver coins in. You know, it's amazing how that adds up in a year. And that's just gold coins and silver coins. Any investment or any financial advisor will tell you about the, the huge benefits of compounding interest by just putting a little bit away. That's the, a biblical principle. Little by little, little by little, every little bit helps. Uh, i finished with uh, an, an, uh, a quote. Sorry, go back to the Will Rogers quote, please. Too many people spend money they earn to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. There's, I think this is probably one of the most profoundest truths that you will hear. And this was powerfully illustrated in the movie um, Little Women. If you've seen it, you would probably know this scene, or if you've read the book. And it's where uh, Beth, is it Beth? Meg. I always get her name wrong. Meg, the eldest daughter, goes shopping, and she ends up buying this silk fabric. She's just so taken up with it. And she's with someone that she is, who's really rich and wealthy, and she's not. She's married to a very poor guy. And she's just so taken up with this thing that she ends up buying it because this woman says, no, you deserve it. You, you work hard and you go without so many things. You deserve it. And so she buys it. And she goes home and, and she's got to tell her husband and, and he's trying to process how much she spent on it. And he's thinking she's bought a dress and he finally comes to the place of going, okay, well, maybe we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll make it work. And then he realizes that it was just a fabric. She's now got to make the dress. And this is in the context of them needing winter coats and their kids needing clothes. And she realizes the foolishness of her decision. And as the movie progresses, she realizes that she needs to do something different and, and change the way she thinks. And again, it's because she was pressured to try and impress other people. You know, and I think so much in all our cultural history and all our stories, that is one of the root things that drives careless decisions when it comes to money and careless spending. And so I want to leave that with you as a, as a challenge to think wisely about how you spend the money that God has given you. As I wrap up, I'm sorry I've gone five minutes over. Just wrapping it all together, what will enable us to, to live wisely with money? And just a simple thought, the reason God calls us to live this way is because he wants us to be like Him. And He is a generous God that His primary focus is to give, is to be a blessing to others. And He demonstrates that ultimately by giving His Son for us. And the promise of Romans 8 is that when we have the best that God has for us, do we really think that God will withhold any other good thing from us? So we ought to put our security and confidence in the Father who loves us in the Son. And then we come to the Son, and we see Jesus in Philippians 2. We're told, He who was rich in every way empties Himself for us, ultimately dying on a cross to demonstrate His poverty because He absorbed the wrath of God on Himself. He was rejected and despised, and He was a nobody with nothing in that moment. 
And he does all of that as 2 Corinthians 8 9 reminds us to make us rich. And that, that's why and that's how as we remember the, the generous heart of God for us in Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus for us so we can hold on to the things that God has blessed us with loosely, with open hands, saying, God, it's yours. What would you have me do with it that I can reflect your heart, your generosity, your grace, your gospel in the world that I live in? Why don't you bow your head? Why don't you close your eyes and think about all that God might be saying to you this morning? Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts. Father, we know that if we just rely on our reason and our intellect, our our stubborn hearts, our proud hearts, our selfish hearts may cause us to miss what you're saying to us today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak into our hearts, that he will expose greed, discontent, covetousness, laziness, carelessness, expose our idolatry, our affections for wealth, our pursuit of it, our ungratefulness, or whatever is in our heart, that your Holy Spirit will shine his light into that place. And Lord, that we would not feel condemned or ashamed, we would feel convicted and it would bring us to a place of humbly repenting before you and receiving your grace and your forgiveness and opening our hearts to your generous love to overwhelm us and overflow in our lives and for it to be evidenced in the way we think about and relate to our wealth. God, in our culture, this is such a big, big thing. No one wants to talk about it. And Lord, we pray that as we continue in our series that you would shift something in our heart. We need you, Holy Spirit. And we pray that, Lord, even this week we will be so aware, so conscious that what we do with what you've given us really, really matters to you. Help us to be good stewards that bring you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.